0: Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank You for this day that You have given us, Lord. A day to come and worship You together. Lord, I pray as we are looking at uh, Your Word to the church today. We're continuing our study in the book of Titus. Lord, I pray that You would speak to us. Individually and as a church, Lord. For we pray that because of your instruction, your implanted word, that we would live godly lives in Christ Jesus for your glory's sake. Bless us now, O Lord. Speak to our hearts and our minds. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, you can turn with me to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, continuing our study there. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 10 this morning. Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. We've been looking at this letter, this letter from Paul to his uh, young uh, pastor named, by the name of Titus, whom Paul has left in Crete, on the Isle of Crete. To begin to establish the churches there, to begin to lay the framework, the organizational framework for the church there on Crete. And so we've looked at the uh, characteristics of a godly leader, and then we've seen the qualifications of the elder, pastor, And then last week we looked at one of the chief duties of the pastor, and that is to protect the flock, protect the flock from false teaching. As we continue today, then we began to see uh, the next duty of a pastor, what has to do with teaching, is to teach the church, to teach the flock, so that the flock becomes a healthy flock. And so what we see here and today is then marks of a healthy church. So we'll see that as we work through it this morning. If you found your place, if you would, stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the young men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything they are to be well-pleasing not argumentative not pilfering but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of god our savior amen may the lord add blessings to the reading of his holy inspired and inerrant word and may he write its eternal truth on all our hearts and you may be seated In the paragraph prior to this, Paul, he notes that Cretans, according to one of their own prophets, one of their own poets of that day, one of their own philosophers, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Now, Paul says this of Cretans, but we can note that what's true for the Cretans is, is really true for all of humanity, all of Adam's race. We are all, at our very core, liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. If we are to give in to the sinful desires of our heart, if we are to give in to the flesh, that's what it would look like. We look at our culture and we can see that same kind of attitude, that, that same kind of lifestyle all around us. But, as Paul points out, makes clear through this letter and in, this, in, in our passage today, the church is not to be so. The church, in fact, is to be absolutely different from the rest of society. We're not to look like the world. We're not to look like society. But we are called out from the world. We're called to be different. We're called to be holy as the Lord our God is holy. We must be different. And so while the false teachers we saw last week, they, they teach... So to itch the ears of culture, to itch the ears of worldliness, to kind of appease their listeners so that they can gain more themselves. But in the church, the pastor is not to appeal to the fleshly desires of those who listen to him, but he says, "As for you, Timothy; uh, as for you, Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Teach what accords with sound doctrine." If you think about what he's saying there, he's saying what accords with sound, or that word could be healthy doctrine, or healthy teaching in other words what he's saying as as he's telling Titus giving this information to Titus this advice to Titus is your teaching ought to produce a healthy church your teaching should be in accord it should be such that what comes from that is not a church that looks like the rest of the world but a church that is healthy healthy in its life in christ and so as we begin to flesh out this then this morning we want to understand what it is what are the marks of a healthy church a healthy church is marked by a steady growth in godliness among its members and an unquenchable desire to glorify christ among the nations a healthy church is marked by a steady growth and godliness among its members and an unquenchable desire to glorify god among the nations so as we begin to dig in there then this morning we look at the marks of a healthy church the marks of a healthy church. I'm not going to be able to cover every little detail that uh, Paul is talking about in, in this lengthy paragraph. But I want to just flesh out three marks. Three marks of a healthy church. Mark number one. A healthy church. Uh, it will have a determined growth in godliness among the laity. And there will be a determined growth in godliness among the laity. There's this striving for godliness, a constant striving for godliness. He says there, as at the end of that, that line on older men, Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound, or again, healthy in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. I don't think that's just for the older men. I think that's for all of the, the congregation, for everyone. As we began to work through this, you'll see that I believe that Paul is not just giving this line of advice for older men and this line of advice just for older women and this line of advice just for younger women and then again for younger men. No, it, it, it's, it's, it, it just it goes to all of the people. All of the church. And these are qualities that should be found in every member of the church. He just orders it this way for a purpose, and we'll see that as we go through. But there's this determined growth in godliness among the laity. Now notice I said a determined growth. It is a determined growth. Why do I say it's a determined growth? Because it must be a determined growth. By our very natures, we would resist this kind of growth. We would resist a growth in godliness. We have to determine, be determined in our walk that we are going to grow in godliness. Else we will remain in the flesh. Paul talks about that in in Romans. He talks about his own struggle. He finds in himself this struggle between the flesh and between the spirit. So we have that struggle. And so we, if we are going to grow in godliness, must be determined to do so. If we're going to determine to grow in godliness, how is that going to look like? What are we going to in what ways are we going to grow? There will be growth in self control. There will be growth in self-control. Now Paul uses that term self-control five times in the book of Titus. Three out of five times he uses that word in this paragraph, talking to the church. I think self-control is important to Paul. I think it's an important thing, an important quality to be found within the church. He tells them that they need to grow. They need to be self controlled. Grow in self control. What are we talking about when we're talking about growing in self control? We've talked about this a little bit already as we covered it under the qualifications of, of the elders, the pastors. But here again, we see that it, it is a common characteristic that ought to be in all of the church. When he's talking about. Uh, self-control he means that we control those fleshly earthly desires the natural desires of the flesh they must be brought under control you say our tendency is to not control them but just let them go and so he talks about self-control as it comes to gluttony or drunkenness Uh, We talked about that again when he talked about the elders. But now here again, he brings it into play as he listed under older women. They're not to be given too much wine. So, uh, again, I think... in that talk, in that word of drunkenness, there's this, this overarching kind of idea at play. It's not just drunkenness when it comes to, to alcohol. That certainly is there. But there's this, this given to excess that we are kind of inclined to do. We, we love to just give to excess. You know, if we have a little bit, we want more. And if we get a little bit more, we want a little bit more and so even when it comes to eating we have a tendency to be gluttons we're about to hit the thanksgiving holiday and on into christmas how many of you will make yourself a glutton most of us probably i mean good food we want more of it and we'll just stuff ourselves and stuff ourselves and stuff ourselves now That might not be too bad for one or two meals a year, right, during the seasons. But if we constantly do that, what's going to happen? We're going to get bigger, and we're going to get bigger, and we're going to get bigger. But you see, our desire is to do that. We want more. We want more. We want to be gluttonous. So we have to be self-controlled. We have to pull back from the table. We have to make ourselves push away what we want, for health reasons and for spiritual health reasons not only is it gluttony but he also talks about anger uh, again going back up to the the qualifications for uh, for the elders there they they, they ought not be quick tempered quick to anger uh, that's another uh, fleshly desire that we have and we talked about this last wednesday night as well we looked at our memory verse last week we we had this desire that when someone offends us we don't want to hold back we want to charge forward what do you mean what you going to offend me and, and we kind of bow up right we want to get angry the scripture tells us we're not to be angry to be self-controlled. We have to control our anger. We have to control our emotions, even sexual desires. He tells the younger women are to be self-controlled, pure. That purity there is, is kind of uh, pointing towards that sexual purity as he makes clear: pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands. We are to let our sexual desires just have their way. What would it be? For society, even in our public schools in many cases, they're teaching that that we ought to just let go of sexual desires and just be free. That's what society says. If it feels good, do it. But we are to be opposite of the world. We are to be self-controlled. We live under the authority of God's Word, not the authority of our world. And so we must, we must, we must exercise self control. We must grow, always be growing and controlling this old body of flesh, putting it under the authority of God's Word. So there's growth in self control. There's also growth in dignity or, you could say, respectability. Dignity or respectability. That is a growth in moral character that is worthy of respect. We see that's very important to us, even in our society today. That's still quite important. Even in a a society that wants to be so loose and free... When it comes to election time, when the mud starts slinging, that's the first place that the mud gets slung. They begin to to look for those hidden secrets to to show someone's lack of moral character, lack of respectability. And, And so we as Christians are called to be respectable, dignified. When when outsiders look at us, they they ought to see something worthy of modeling. And so Paul tells Timothy that his teaching is to produce such respectability in the community uh, with the church. This growth in respectability means that Uh, One who is dignified, one who is respectable, also respects others. As he tells the older women, you are not to be slanderers. You're not to be gossips. You're to respect others. You're to respect others. When we began to go out and to gossip about people, slandering people, running their name into the, the dirt, that is not respecting other people. But Paul calls us to be to, to respect others, to respect others. And, and the world sees this. I mean, if you go out and you go, go tell Sue what old Bob, you heard Bob did, you're not just telling Sue what you heard about old Bob, you're telling Sue that you are an unreliable person, that you're a mudslinger. Someone that she doesn't need to talk to and confide in when she has trouble. You see, that's what we tell the world when we get involved in slander and gossip. And it's not just for the women, guys. I've been in the coffee shops. I've heard the gossip go on there as well. It's all of us. We're not to be given to slander, but we're to respect others. Respect others. It also means that we must be loyal. A dignified, a respectable person is loyal. Is loyal especially to the family. Notice in verse 3 through 5, Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands. Now, as we, we think about this, Paul, just because he doesn't work it all out here, doesn't mean he has a, a greater teaching to teach us. We know, and, and Titus too would have known, he's seen Paul's letter to the Ephesians, And so what Paul is really hammering at here, I think, at least one of the things that he's getting at here, is there's to be this kind of loyalty, this loyalty. And loyalty begins with the most basic society that God has given us, the family unit. There's to be loyalty within the family. That's why he's telling the older women to teach the younger women to to respect their husbands and to love their family and and to do the things around the household that they need to do. But again, it's not just to the ladies. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Going on in verse 6, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. You see, there must be this unity, this loyalty within the family. That's where it starts. Yes, ladies, men have been designed and given the duty in the household to lead. Men, you are called by God to lead. To lead your family. That's why wives are to be submissive to their husbands. That doesn't mean that they should be beat down. That doesn't mean that they're less dignified, that they're worth less in any way. But God caused the man to stand account and lead his family. When Adam and Eve were in the garden and Eve took the forbidden fruit, when God came, he didn't say, Eve, what did you do? He said, Adam. You see, it was Adam who God put in that place of authority. Adam was called to lead his family. And when the family failed, God called on Adam. What did you do, Adam? Why did you lead your family into this? The man is responsible. And dear dear friend, men, husbands, husbands, I believe one day you will stand before the Lord just as the pastor will have to stand before, I as a pastor will have to stand before the Lord and answer for how I teach the church. You men will have to stand before the Lord and be called to account on how you lead your family in Christ. You are responsible. You are to lead. And if you lead like God calls you to lead, your wives will have no problem following your lead they will be a wonderful helpmate to you. If you love them as Christ loved the church and you're looking out for their good, you seek their growth in godliness, they will love you back and they will follow you to the ends of the earth if you'll lead like God calls you to lead. Therefore, wives are to be submissive to their husbands Oh, yes, husband and wife, they, we talk about issues that relate to our family. But in the end, men, you're called to lead, to make the final decision. Are you doing that? Are you showing loyalty to your wives, to your children? Wives, are you showing your loyalty to your husbands and to your children? Children, are you showing loyalty to the family by obeying your father and your mother? We're called to be loyal. And it begins with loyalty within the family. And only when it begins with the loyalty in the family can it then expand to the church and outward from there. There must be that growth and dignity. Uh, there must be that, that sense of loyalty. Furthermore, growth and dignity and respectful, respectability there will also be a growth in reverence for authority. Growth in reverence for authority. Even that, that, that we have just been talking about women being submissive to their own husbands. Submissive to that authority that God has placed there. But again, that it doesn't just end there. It, it goes out from there. Paul says in Romans chapter 13, verse 1, Let Every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. We are to, to respect, have a reverence for authority. And as far as our, those authorities whom God has placed over us lead us in a way that doesn't contradict God's word then we are to follow them. Whatever government God puts over us, in all the ways that it leads us not against God's Word, that's important. We should follow them. Now, if they go against God's Word, God is the ultimate authority. And so we follow Him first. And so if our government asks us to do things that are against God's Word, we must protest. We mustn't do it. But as far as we can, we must be reverent toward proper authorities. So that's kind of just a a, a vague picture of, of godliness, what godliness looks at. We could add a whole bunch of other things, a bunch of other characteristics. But we see here that one of the marks of a healthy church is a determined growth in godliness among the laity. That was the longest point. We'll make it faster through the others too, too, I promise. So, marks of a healthy church, a determined growth in godliness among the laity. Second, there's an, an intergenerational investment in godly instruction. There's an intergenerational investment in godly structure. Uh, that is, there's, this, there, there's people feeding into one another. Helping one another grow in godliness and good works, right? We see that in the very structure that is, is given here. Again, we return to that, that structure that I talked about there. Old men, older women, young women younger men you see we have here a, a structure that ought to alert us of, of something that Paul wants to teach us you see there's a what they call a, a chiastic structure it just, that just means that there's a, a kind of a structure here that goes A B B A alright A, B, B, A. It's a common structure throughout Scripture, and it brings awareness. He he has a message to teach. A, older men. B, older women. B, younger women. A, younger men. You see? The way he is laying it out here, he's telling us, not just that older women ought to, to teach younger women, but he's telling us that, that there's this, there should be older men and older women, more mature in the faith, who are pouring into younger women and younger men in the faith so that all are growing in godliness. There must be this intergenerational type feeding into one another so that the whole church is growing up in godliness. Now one of the places that begins is in the home. Discipleship begins in the home. That's why in Deuteronomy chapter 6 as God is is uh, establishing the nation of Israel and getting ready to bring them into the promised land, he gives them this decree, "Hear O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might." And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in, the ho- in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your head and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. You see, God calls the family to be discipling within the family. Fathers, you're to be pouring into your wives and into your children. Wives, you are to be pouring into your husbands and into your children. You're to teach your children at home. Disciple them in the ways of godliness. That extends then to the church. We see that in the church. I I just kind of thought of this as I was coming up here. But he he also kind of bookends this by saying to Titus, teach what accords to sound doctrine. And then in verse 7, show yourself in all respect to be a model of good works. And in, your, and in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. The pastor is brought into the equation, and the pastor is to, to teach the flock. To teach the flock. Sound doctrine. Doctrine, uh, teaching that is for the health of the church. And He's also to set an example. I am here to set an example. Lord, help me to do that. But it's also, I believe, among the laity, among the church members. That's why we, we emphasize here, and our, our, our goal for the church is to love God, love one another, love our world. In loving one another, we're to be pouring into one another. There's to be this intergenerational instruction taking place so that we're growing together in godliness. That's why it's so, so important that you get involved in, in life group. Find a life group where you can grow with other Christians. So there's determined There's a determined growth in godliness among the laity, among the church members. There's an intergenerational investment in godly instruction. And number three, and this is oh so the most important, an unquenchable desire to glorify Christ in all things. An unquenchable desire to glorify Christ in all things. You see, dear friend, that's our main goal in all of this. That's the main goal in everything that we do. All of it. We are to grow in self control for the glory of Christ, not to win favor with God. Not to win favor with society, but for the glory of Christ. We are to grow in dignity for the glory of Christ. To make His name great. Not to make our name great. We're to grow in reverence for authority for the glory of Christ. We're to do all things at all times for the glory of Christ. Look what Paul says. After ta- saying this about the young women, young women are to love their husbands and children and be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their husbands. That, for this purpose, that the, glo- that the word of God may not be reviled. Reviled. When he talks about Titus uh, being that example and teaching uh, in integrity and with dignity and sound speech, he says, so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. And then finally, after the bond serving, he says, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. You see, dear friend, it's not for our glory that we grow in godliness. It's not for our glory that we do anything. But it's for God's glory. It's for Christ's glory. Now some, I've heard people say this, well, I don't care what people think about me. Dear friend, it's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about me. When you put upon yourself the name Christian, it's no longer about you. Who cares what people think about you? The question is, what do they think about Christ because of you? When people see you out in the world, out in the community, and they see you gossiping, they go away thinking, and and he calls himself a Christian. When people see you telling dirty jokes at the water cooler, they go away thinking, and that guy calls himself a Christian. You see, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. It's about the glory of Christ. Exalting Him. Glorifying Him above everything. Everything. I don't care what people think about me. I don't. But I want them to think much of my Lord. I want them to sing praise to God. I don't care if the name of Richard Gamble lasts until next week once I'm dead. Who cares? But God be glorified. Somehow in my life, everything that we do, It's not about us. It's about Him. about pointing people to the greatest name of all times, Jesus Christ. So how are we doing as a church? How are we doing as a church? Are we pointing people to Jesus? When people of our community think about First Baptist Church of Bastrop, Louisiana, what do they say about our church? Whatever they say about our church, I pray to God, oh that in time, if not already, that they would say, that's the church that loves Jesus. That's the church that talks about Jesus. It's a church that's always pointing people to Jesus. Oh God, let it be so. A healthy church is marked by a steady growth in godliness among its members and an unquenchable desire to glorify Christ among the nations. Dear friend, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, pray that our church will point you to Jesus. That you would see the most important thing for you to gain today is a relationship with Jesus Christ because He is most glorious. He is most wonderful. He is most valuable. And how about you, dear Christian? Are you striving to glorify Christ in your life? By striving to grow in godliness? Are you striving to glorify Christ in your family, in your relationships to others? How are you doing? Let today be a day of commitment. Oh, we could all find failure in our lives. Certainly. But let today be a day of commitment where you are committed, Lord God, to grow in godliness for the glory of Christ. There's no other name under heaven or or earth by which we can be saved. The world has little benefit if the name of First Baptist Church is glorified. The the world has very little benefit if the name of Richard Gamble is glorified. The world has very little, no benefit at all if your name, my name is glorified. But it gains eternity. And they trust in Jesus Christ and give their lives over to him. Are you glorifying Jesus today? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we know each and every one of us, even the most godly among us. Lord, as we look at our lives, we can always see there's things that could be improved upon. And Lord, we know that in this life You will constantly be working on us. As You come and dwell within us, Lord, You are empowering us, You are giving us a change of desire, and You're transforming us. And we thank You for that work in us. But also, Lord, we know that it calls us to work alongside You, to strive for godliness in our own lives. Oh Lord, let that be our desire today that we might grow in godliness. But Lord, let us grow in godliness not for our sake but that the world might see you in us and be led to the only name that saves. Jesus Christ, our Lord. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you are here today, and you don't know Jesus, you don't have a relationship with Christ today, I want to talk to you. I want to tell you more. And I invite you to come, and I'll be glad to tell you more. If you are here and you know you need to, to make an official commitment, then I invite you come, pray, do whatever you need to do to commit to godliness for the glory of Jesus Christ. Father, lead us. Let's stand together.